Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Monday night here on the evening show. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. It's how you join the show. Uh, Obviously talking a lot tonight about the Sixers. Game 5 tomorrow night. Series tied 2-2 with the Boston Celtics. Um, And, man, this would be be huge. The Sixers could win this one uh, and set up a potential clinching game Thursday night for game six, uh, the atmosphere down the Wells Fargo Center would be pretty incredible. And hopefully they're able to do just that. But also talking about the Phillies, Phillies uh, coming off a weekend in which they take one of three from the Boston Red Sox. Not the best week for the Phils. As they off the off day today, get set for a little two-game series with the Toronto Blue Jays before another off day Thursday. Kind of a weird schedule for the Phils this week. Uh, but to help us talk Phils, Editorial director, Phillies Nation, Tim Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at Tim Kelly Sports. Tim joins us now. What's up, Tim? Thanks for hopping on, man. Thanks for having me on, Tom. Well, Tim, let's start off with with this past week, and obviously not what you wanted to see. The Phils finally start playing good baseball. You know, they take two of three in Houston. Uh, they get Bryce back in L.A., but the series goes really poorly. Then they lose two of three at home to the Red Sox over the weekend. Long term here. Uh, this past week, do you think just a bad week, or or are there concerning signs moving forward that that make this maybe more than just one bad week? I think most likely it's just a bad week, but obviously the starting rotation, the production you're getting there needs to improve, and you got an encouraging sign yesterday from Taiwan Walker. You're going to get Ranger Suarez back most likely in the Colorado series, so you're trending in a good direction there, and obviously both Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler need to improve, but right before they went on that ugly losing streak, they had a five or six game stretch where it was like, whoa, this bullpen looks elite. They're about to get Bryce Harper back and Wheeler and Noah are starting to hit their strides. Like they might be a team that wins 90 plus games. So uh, I think uh, I'm most likely leaning towards it was just a bad week. Yeah. And obviously Tim, I, I think it's pretty clear starting pitching, does look like the Phils' biggest issue as we move forward here. And like you said, Taiwan Walker, uh, a good outing on Sunday. That's encouraging. Uh, did you see any differences? Like, what do you think the difference was for Walker yesterday uh, compared to his, his previous couple outings? I think he simplified the approach. He didn't walk guys. He was throwing strikes. I think every outing previously had walked at least two batters. Yesterday he walked zero batters. And uh, he leaned on that split a little bit more. So I, I think moving forward, that's probably the approach you're going to see from Taiwan Walker. I mean, this was somebody that is a good pitcher. Like, you can debate the contract they gave him, exactly where he slots into a rotation on a good team. He's had some issues holding up as the season goes along. But this was somebody that was an all-star not long ago. So uh, certainly, assuming he's healthy, he should be significantly better than what he's been to this point, and I think you saw that yesterday. Yeah, Tim, and and another guy who struggled this weekend out of the starting rotation, uh, Bailey Falter. It's been ugly now, 0-7 on the year. Uh, they're getting Ranger Suarez back, but Matt Strom back in the bullpen. Uh, not a ton of other options, it seems. Do you think Bailey Falter stays in the rotation, uh, or do you think you know the Phillies try something else, maybe Christopher Sanchez or somebody like that? I think he's going to make his next scheduled start. That's what Rob Thompson said when I asked him after the game Saturday. Uh, Yeah, I mean, Christopher Sanchez is potentially a possibility at some point. Nick Nelson was optioned, so you'd have to wait at least another turn. It might be two turns through the rotation. The the other options just aren't very good. But 
at some point, I think if there's another bad start, you're going to have to try something different just for the sake of doing so because he, he's really struggled. The wins and losses, I, I think you can overlook because there were a few starts there early on where he pitched acceptable and just didn't get run support. Lately, though, it's just been bad. And he, I asked Rob Thompson after the, the game, is he someone that maybe should just pitch one time through a rotation? And he said, well, I don't really know that that's something a starting pitcher can do. And in that, maybe he's just not a starting pitcher. Like maybe this is someone that is more meant for a long relief role than to be facing a lineup two or three times through every game because he seems to do relatively well the first time through. After that is when he has trouble. Tim Kelly joining us now, editorial director, Phillies Nation, at Tim Kelly Sports. You can find him on Twitter. And off that, Tim, I mean, the Phillies do make the decision, or Rob Thompson makes the decision, to move Matt Strom to the bullpen. Matt Strom has been, you know, very effective as a starting pitcher, really one of the more, uh, you know, encouraging signs and, and, and you know, good stories for the Phillies earlier on in the year here. What do you think of that decision of moving Strom to the bullpen, um, and do you think it's ultimately the right one for the Phillies, or do you think he should stay in the rotation? I think given the fact that you gave him two years on a contract, it's probably wise just because he hasn't pitched that much over the last few years dealing with injuries. So if you take him from pitching 30 innings a year to pitching 150, you're asking for a problem. And if this was someone that you only signed a one year, maybe you think a little bit differently. But the fact is you signed him for two years. And I think you saw yesterday, maybe you were kind of missing that type of weapon in the bullpen that can go multiple innings. Like you have a lot of really good one inning guys, uh, Soto, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jose Alvarado at times, Craig Kimbrell but you don't have that length guy in the bullpen. That's what he was signed for, and you saw it yesterday. He can go multiple innings and be effective out of the bullpen, and you're not taxing him as much as you are when he's throwing five or six innings. Yeah, Tim, a, a couple more on the, the pitching staff here before we get to the lineup, but uh, one, of the, one of the more scrutinized moves that the Phillies chose not to, not to make this past offseason, uh, Zach Eflin. He signs in Tampa for three years, $40 million, I mean, how big a mistake is that looking like uh, at this point, considering how productive he was for this team last year? Well, I, I think the thing with Zach Eflin, production has never been the concern. Staying healthy has. I don't think. I think once in his career, he's made more than 20 starts in a season, and I think that was in 2019. So you've had a few years. Obviously, 2020 was a pandemic year, but you had two years since then, and he didn't come close to that. So I, I think obviously. It didn't surprise me that a team like the Rays was interested. It doesn't surprise me he's doing well, but he's also already had an injured list stint there, and history tells us he's probably going to have another one or two this season. So I think you opted for durability uh, as opposed to opting for re-signing him and knowing he's going to make 18 to 20 starts a season, and you're going to kind of be left holding your hands the rest of the time. Yeah, Tim, and, and another question regarding another kind of young guy in the Phillies uh, system that we haven't kind of heard from in a while, got hurt during spring training, but Andrew Painter, any kind of update on his status and when he could possibly uh, be returning? I don't think there's any relatively new update. Like the last homestand, he had uh, progressed from throwing every other day to throwing every day, but throwing and doing bullpen sessions, and uh, they're entirely different things. So to me, and I, I know nothing about how the progress is going, presumably well to this point, but I kind of think you hope for the best, but you don't bank on Andrew Painter being involved 
in the Phillies this season because you just don't know health-wise. Uh, uh, certainly, it would be a shot in the arm. It would probably be a bigger impact than any guy they could go out and acquire realistically in a trade. But pitchers with uh, elbow injuries, it's you have to be extremely cautious, especially with someone that young that you hope is a part of your organization for a long time. So uh, I think it's a hope for the best, expect the worst type situation yeah tim kelly uh, joining us now editorial director phillies nation at tim kelly sports where you can find him on twitter and just one more with the pitching staff before we get to the offense tim but uh you look at the bullpen and it's been a little up and down but one of the guys who you know i've been disappointed in and and just one of these players who you kind of wait to come around and just doesn't seem to be happening for him consistently is connor brogdon what do you see going on with brogdon because he's got elite stuff and and i think saved the phillies really in game four of that Padres series last year, but but so inconsistent. What do you see as the issues for Brogdon in terms of, of being consistent out there? Well, I think this year he's been used probably too much. But beyond that, I, I agree with you completely. He is frustrating to watch because he seems to be when he's confident and when he's in rhythm, like this could be a guy that pitches in the eighth inning, but he just isn't that consistently and maybe he'll become that. I don't think that there's any one thing I can point to and say, like, they fix this, he'll be that guy. He just kind of has that feel of somebody that he's going to be frustrating for four, five, six years here and go somewhere else and turn up in one year he'll be an all-star. So uh, that's kind of how things go with relievers. It reminds me a little of Luis Garcia when they had him. He had, like, really good stuff, never put it all together, and then ended up, becoming I believe he was an all-star with either St. Louis or San Diego so uh, that's how it goes with relievers sometimes you have good months you have good weeks you have good seasons you have bad all of those as well and sometimes it doesn't make sense but that's just kind of how it goes yeah and uh, as far as the the lineup let's talk about that a little bit Tim in the offense because the big story this past week obviously the return of Bryce Harper and maybe even more incredible than him returning when he did uh, the impact he's making right away. I, how incredible is it for him not only to, only to return as quickly as he has, but to immediately, you know, just be an incredibly productive bat in this lineup? Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be discounted how amazing it is, but at the same time, I think you talk to anyone around the Phillies and you talk to Bryce Harper, and no one's really particularly surprised that he's doing this because it's Bryce Harper. Like they say, oh, he heals faster, and you hear that, and you're like, yeah, sure, whatever. But clearly, I mean, who am I to question at this point? He had Tommy John surgery on Thanksgiving, and I thought, okay, maybe Memorial Day, June 1st. He's back on basically May 1st. I mean, it's amazing. It's remarkable, but it also just kind of adds to the mystique of Bryce Harper and adds to the idea that certain people genetically or whatever the case may be, just heal better than the rest of us. Yeah, and and really incredible what he's done uh, over the past week, Tim, and a couple more on the lineup for you. And uh, one of them has been a, a big question that we had coming into the season, Nick Castellanos, and he's obviously produced at a high clip this year. Uh, what have you seen from Castellanos in terms of his improvement? Why do you think uh, he has been so much better? Uh, he hasn't hit, been shy about this or anything. Like He's a guy that when things are going well, he's really open and willing to talk to you about kind of maybe some of the struggles he had in getting comfortable last year. And he said he had the same struggles in 2020, his first year with the Reds and he was bad that year, but it was a 
a short sample size because it was a 60-game season. Last year was obviously as large a sample size as you can have going to the World Series, and he really struggled. This year, though, he just looks like a different guy, and I, I think it's a case of you look at the back of the baseball card and you just kind of had to have trust that last year has not been who he was. He's not someone that's 38 years old. He's in his early 30s, and you're seeing him now reemerge as one of the best doubles hitters in the league. And I think beyond that, he, he's fielded a, a lot better, I think, than he did last year. And that, that maybe was something I didn't expect. And still long-term, like you, you want him DHing probably more or half and half, but he, he's really been a- excellent this season. I think, however, sometimes he may come off to the public, I, I get the sense that he's a really good teammate. Tim Kelly joining us now, editorial director, uh, Phillies Nation. You can find him at Tim Kelly Sports on Twitter. And uh, one more here on the Phils, Tim, before we get to some TV topics. I know you're a big TV guy. I want to get your take on something there as well. But uh, Rob Thompson makes the move yesterday, finally, that Howard Eskin's been asking for. He moves <laughs> Kyle Schwarber out of the leadoff spot, down to the five hall, and it immediately produces. What are your thoughts on the whole leadoff spot situation do you think Schwarber should be hitting in the middle of a lineup and do you think there's anybody happier than than Howard right now yeah I I told Rob Thompson like the press conference ended after the game and I said I'm shocked Howard didn't come back from the Sixers game just because he was there pregame went to go to the Sixers game and I I was surprised he didn't come back just to be at the postgame press conference you're always in those videos that he posts him you're always in the background. I, I know. Uh, like, I, I have nightmares about <laughs> how like how I'm going to look in the background of it. Because, like, Howard is not someone that asks short questions. And, you know, it, it's human nature. Like, when it's not your question, you're maybe paying a little less attention. Or when Howard's asking questions specifically, like, I'm gauging other reactions from people around the room, the PR staff, the uh, other reporters that have kind of heard Howard ask these questions for decades, maybe. Uh, so yeah, it is what it is with Howard. I'm sure he'll have a new like thing to talk about tomorrow. But right. uh, as far as Kyle Schwarber, like I generally think we make too much about where people hit day to day. But yeah, having a guy hitting 180 something leading off doesn't make sense. Now I would have had Trey Turner lead off, but you have a very lefty lineup right now and. I think you're desperately missing the impact of Reese Hoskins to drive runs in in the middle of that order. And Kyle Schwarber maybe becomes more important as a run producer this year because you don't have Reese Hoskins' presence there. Now, Castellanos has been better. Alec Bohm has been a machine with runners in scoring position. And obviously now you have Bryce Harper back. But for the time being, I think, yeah, it's fair to say Dot and Turner and whatever order should hit in the top two spots. And then Schwarber probably makes sense hitting three, four, five. And the, the reality is wherever he's hitting, he needs to do significantly better than he has. He's a hard worker, though. He was out there early with Kevin Long on Saturday, and I think you started to see some of the uh, impact of that yesterday. Yeah, and it was nice to see Schwarber get back on track uh, yesterday. And, Tim, uh, just uh, one more for you in regards to TV, because we're both fans of the show Succession, uh, final season right now. What do you think of this season? And also your tweet that I agree with. You say uh, Tom is the best character on that show. I would agree with that. Why do you think that is? Well, I've always liked the the Tom and Greg scenes to me have been the best part of the show. And uh, it's no disrespect to any of the other characters because like Jeremy Strong, Kieran Culkin, there's lots of really 
really good acting in this series. Uh, Brian Cox, obviously, as well. But there's just something about him where he's so good at playing this weaselly character that kind of leeches on to whoever is best for him at a given time. And uh, the the scene last night with him arguing with Shiv was pretty incredible. So I'm excited to see what happens. I think there's three episodes left. And I said at the beginning of the season – I just have a feeling like one way or another at the end, he's going to be on whatever the quote-unquote winning side is. And I'm excited for that. And I, I'm excited for a lot of the people in the show uh, to see what they do after this because it's one of those shows that has made a lot of stars like Breaking Bad did or like The Sopranos did. Like this is, uh, I don't know where you rank it yet all time, but clearly like I think it's fair to say this is one of the 10 best shows ever. And you're not going to the the cast of this show is not just going to disappear after this ends. Yeah, I mean top I mean top 10 is kind of high Tim. I'm not sure if I put it top 10 yet, but I mean maybe I'll have to do I'll do my rankings and I'll have to Well, I was I'll thinking about where does it rank just among HBO shows. Right. Yeah, top, um, yeah, well, think, HBO, yeah. I think that's I think good. Sopranos is the best and after that like I'm open to discussion. Yeah. So the, yeah, I'll have to I'll have to rank it. I'll rank my HBO shows, and and we'll uh we'll we'll, we'll get together and talk about that. But I appreciate you coming on, Tim. Uh, thanks for hopping on for a few minutes, man. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. All right, take it easy. Have a good one. What about you, Tucker? Are you a Succession guy? Do you are, are you a fan of that show? I've never watched it. You never watched it? No. You, you should give it a shot. I think you would. I think you'd enjoy Succession. I feel like I probably would. It yeah. seems like one of those shows that's loved by everyone. If I I gave it a shot, I'd be into it. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty interesting show. I've seen it and I've compared it at times to Game of Thrones without all the supernatural aspects. I mean that that that's I guess a decent comparison, but um, you know, it just it's just got a lot of a lot of intrigue to it. Uh, a family who all hates each other, and who doesn't like to watch family who all hates each other? Makes you feel better about your family dynamic. So. Where we tolerate each other. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where people tolerate each other uh, on succession. And that's exactly uh, pretty much the basis of it. But it's a good show, and I would recommend it to anybody. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. I have bad news for Flyers fans. As I'm talking to Tim Kelly during the uh, interview there, I'm watching on the screen the ESPN NHL Draft Lottery. And this is what this whole season was leading up to. What's the kid's name? Bedard, who's supposed to be the star player coming out. Well, the the Flyers had the seventh best odds to get the number one overall pick. And I regret to inform you, they did not secure the number one overall pick. They got the seventh spot. So I don't know who the seventh best hockey prospect is, but I... I doubt it's going to be somebody who's going to be an organization changer with that pick. Well, that's unfortunate. Again, I don't know, but just we'll uh, regroup next year. Just guessing. So who knows? I guess you try to tank. What, what do they do? You just tank again next year and try to go for how they end up. How were they that bad? And they were only the seventh worst team. Yeah, were the they league? unwatchable like the whole season? And they were still seventh worst. I mean, that's what I heard, and I'm not going to lie to you. Like, I didn't, I didn't watch the Flyers all year long because honestly, there wasn't really a reason to. Felt like a waste of time. It did. It felt like a huge waste of time. Um, I just heard about how bad they were, but apparently they weren't bad enough. If you only give yourself the seventh best odds, like, and that's where I will give the Sixers credit for what they did. If you're going to tank, then you tank. Then you go all out. 
you make sure you're you're as god awful as you can. You tie be. records for worst record in NBA history. Yeah, I mean, I I've never understood the idea of like half tanking or you know trying to to be somewhat competitive but lose. You, you got to either pick a direction, pick a lane. Like, don't get cute with it. No, you're either going to try to make the playoffs or you're going to try to tank and get the number one overall pick. The Flyers, uh, I guess, tried to do a little bit of both. They weren't bad enough, and they get the seventh pick. I'm sorry to Flyers fans. I know there are a lot of them out there trying to, hoping 